Um, open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're actually wrapping up our series in the book of 1 Peter this morning. It's crazy. Uh, but we've, we've come through the book of 1 Peter. This series is, is called Called Out and Sent In. We've been learning the way of Jesus by studying um, this letter that Peter wrote to a dispersed, uh, scattered group of Christians um, in, in what is now uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, so Asia Minor. Uh, these individuals, followers of Jesus, just like you and I, were wrestling with what it means to walk out their faith in Jesus in a, in a land that really, in a, in a time, in a period where they were under a lot of opposition um, and, and persecution. And so this has been a rich letter. Uh, I trust that it's served you. Got some questions for us this morning. Have you ever been hurt by leadership within a church? Have you ever been tempted to bow out of church community because they're not doing things the way you prefer? Have you ever been overwhelmed by anxieties? Have you forgotten that you have a real enemy? So from faithful pastoring to personal preferences... From dealing with anxieties to resisting a real enemy, Peter, in the rest of this letter, makes clear that humility is the way forward in all of those areas. Humility is the way forward. Let's read about it here in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering uh, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, Silvanus, this guy. A faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand for a minute. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, help us to receive it for what it is, your word to us. And help us, Lord, to engage it with everything in us. Keep us alert. Keep us awake. Help us to receive all that you would have. Convict us. 
Put your finger on areas where we need to change, where things need to be adjusted. Enliven us, Lord. Help us to see the hope and the grace available, especially through Christ, your son. That we would marvel at it, yes, stand in awe of it, yes, but also live in light of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Three things I pray we see here. One, pastors, be servant leaders. Two, all of you, live with an attitude of humility. And three, all of you, stay alert and practice resistance. So first, pastors, be servant leaders. So in light of what Peter has just said in chapter 4, verse 17, where he talks about judgment beginning um, in the household of God, he he goes on to make an appeal then here in chapter 5 to the elders of the churches to whom he's writing. And he says, I appeal to you. I I exhort you. He's making this strong invitation. Uh, He's calling them. He's imploring them. He's asking them something. He puts himself right there beside them, if, if you've noticed. He said, uh, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so Peter speaks with authority on the topic of being an elder, but also with authority and, and, and with a personal experience of being with Christ and seeing the sufferings of Christ. And he goes on to say, and as a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And so Peter himself was looking forward to what would be. And he writes to the elders. Now, the most common term in the New Testament for a church leader is elder. Elder, pastor, bishop. They're all used interchangeably to refer to the same person or the same group of people. And each title describes a various aspect of their role. Let me show you another place where these words are used interchangeably. Go with me, please, to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is standing uh, on the shore with, he's about to depart, and he's with the elders of the church of Ephesus. And in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, uh, or verse 18 rather, no, I think it is 17. Let me go to Acts 20. Yes, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And so Paul's talking to the elders of this church and he says, hey, you all know how I lived. I lived in humility before you, serving you with tears and with all sincerity. And he addresses the elders. But then if you look at verse 28 of the same chapter in Acts 20, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's another word for, oh, he's referring to elders also as overseers. To care for the church of God, which he, which God obtained with his own blood. That's your responsibility, elders, what he's saying. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. And so we see this uh, use of uh, whether it's pastor or bishop or overseer interchangeably used to refer to the leaders within the church. And you can uh, look at other passages of Scripture that do the same. But the idea of, of elders, the term elder, it comes from the Old Testament where Israel always had elders, whether in age, experience, or character, oftentimes all three, who were leaders within their community. 
And the English word for pastor actually comes from the Latin, which means shepherd. And that describes the function of the elder. The function of the elder or pastor is a responsibility of caring for, of looking after the flock to which he has been entrusted by God. Shepherd the flock. That's what Peter tells the elders to do. Shepherd the flock of God. Look after or care for God's people. These are God's, Peter's saying to the elders. These are God's people, not yours. These individuals are entrusted to your care. So you're given a particular role and responsibility within the church community, and that role and responsibility is to shepherd. Now listen, I'm preaching to myself. Every Sunday I preach to myself, but this Sunday in particular, there should be a mirror right here. And all week I've been thinking about this. I need to receive these words in a way that even you don't. It's important that you hear what Peter is saying about elders. But as an elder, I better pay even more attention to what he's saying. I'm called the shepherd. That's what I'm called to. That's what your elders here at local are called to, to shepherd. You know, we had our Belong Here class last Sunday, our, our membership class. And somebody asked at the class, hey, what makes local church so unique there's a little bit of, a little bit of silence and i said you you the people of local is what makes local church so unique and you bring in gifts and talents a calling on your life that's unique to the church down the street because it's you you're not them you're you. And God has called you to be on mission. And now us together to be on mission. To live intentional lives on mission for the glory of God. And that's awesome. That's wonderful. We get to do this together. Peter refers to the elders as shepherds. He calls them to shepherd the flock of God. God is referred to as a shepherd in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's a common one. Psalm. Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. Turn with me to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus himself, he refers to himself as the good shepherd. Shepherd. Now, this has its roots in the prophet Ezekiel. We don't have time to go there. I encourage you to read Ezekiel 34 when you have a chance, where the prophet Ezekiel is speaking about the leaders within Israel and refers to them as shepherds, the leaders of the community, the kings of Israel, and how they were corrupt. And they were looking out only for their own interests. And he calls them shepherds. And he speaks of a shepherd that will come in the line of David and how God himself will become this shepherd of his own people. And we see this fulfilled in Jesus. 
And I think it's fascinating to think of God as shepherd. I'm not sure what your picture of God is. I hope it's directed by scripture. But when we look at God as shepherd, we understand something uh, beautiful about his actions and his disposition, disposition towards us. He cares for us. He's looking out for our best interest. Jesus is the good shepherd. Do you remember when Peter was all kinds of excited to, to take the lead and charge the hill? This is before Jesus was crucified. He's like, man, I, I'll die for you, Jesus. And then when it counted most, remember the night that uh, Jesus uh, was, was uh, brought on trial and, and, and eventually uh, led out to be crucified. But that night around the fire, Peter denied Jesus three times. That very night that, G- that Peter had declared, oh, no, I'm, I'm going I'm to die with you, Jesus. I'm going to stand with you. Uh, and yet when it, when, really, it, it, when it mattered the most, Peter, he denied Jesus three times. And so what Jesus does after Jesus' resurrection, he uses the word for shepherd when speaking words of restoration to Peter. And he does this, again, in the book of John. Look with me in John chapter 21. I just love this interaction that Jesus has with Peter. This is after Jesus has been raised to life, and and he appears uh, a number of times to the apostles. And in this particular instance, uh, what does he say to Peter? He says to Peter in, in, in chapter 21 of John, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon was in a, part of Peter's name. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend or shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Three times. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus was speaking words of restoration to Peter. Ah, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And now Peter is affirming his love three times. And what is Jesus saying each time Peter affirms his love? He's essentially saying, listen, express your love for me, Peter, by extending yourself in love for my people. Feed my sheep. Shepherd. Shepherd my people. And so Peter speaks from experience. And Peter lays out how how elders are supposed to walk out their calling in verses 2 through 3 of 1 Peter 5. And he says basically three things. Don't do this under compulsion. In other words, listen, elders, don't be pressured into this. Don't resent this role because of the duties that come at you. Don't resent this role because of the opposition that comes with it. Don't do this under compulsion, not pressure, but do it willingly. Also, he says, don't do this for shameful gain. Don't do this for popularity. Don't do this uh, for position or, or money or power. None of that. Don't do this because you want to be an author or a public figure. Do it eagerly, earnestly. And don't be domineering over those in your charge. Be an example. In other words, you could sum it up this way. Do all that you can 
Peter's saying to the elders of the churches that he's writing, do all that you can to feed. Feed them, protect them, come alongside them, lead them, set an example for them. Your life should be a pattern to be copied, a model to follow. Like a shepherd walking in front of his flock, they know his voice, they trust his guidance, they believe he will put before them food that nourishes, and he will protect them from wolves that want to wreak havoc. Peter's saying, that's your role, pastor. And when the chief shepherd appears, Peter says, he talks about Jesus being the chief shepherd. And what's important for you, church, to understand is that I and your elders here, we're under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And any faithful shepherd must take his cues from the chief shepherd must take his cues from Jesus, and that requires humility. I told you that humility is the way forward in all of the points that we're talking about this morning, from faithful pastoring to dealing with anxieties, and we'll get to the anxieties part, but right now we're dealing with faithful pastoring. Humility is the way forward. A faithful pastor, a faithful elder must humble himself before the chief shepherd and take his cues from Jesus on how to lead. We're going to explore next Sunday uh, um, how Jesus really called us all uh, to lead and to walk. But elders, pastors, are called to be an example and not to lead in a domineering way. I cannot lead others where I'm not myself willing to go. And my leadership must always be rooted in submission to Jesus' leadership over me. Or I will fail you. And I will not walk in this role faithfully. And so it's going to require sacrificial love and servant leadership. But Peter encourages them. He reminds the elders of an unfading crown. Look what he says. And when the chief shepherd, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I don't know all the details of what this crown is. Is about. I think whatever crown we receive as elders will then be turned around and we will very excitedly lay it at the feet of Jesus. But it speaks of a reward and not a temporary wreath like athletes receive after winning a race or like generals would wear after defeating an enemy. A temporary wreath. But he's saying it's, it's one that's unfading. And he goes on to speak to the entire community, all of you, Live with an attitude of humility. So pastors, but now all of you. All of you live with an attitude of humility. We see this in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so for those who are younger, who maybe have preferences that aren't being met, and that could be older people as well, Submit yourselves or subject yourselves to the elders. Clothe yourselves, he goes on to say, all of you, with humility. This imagery of clothing yourself, it's good for us. It it actually literally means to tie around your waist, to drape over you. I think it's a helpful metaphor. It's a helpful picture for us. None of you leave the house without your clothes on. Thank goodness for that. You'd be arrested. And, and, and none of us would be blessed by that. So our clothes, our clothes describe us. They define us in many ways. And we're called to wear, to put on, to clothe ourselves with humility. 
This is about walking with an attitude of humility, living our day with an attitude, the same attitude, the same mindset of that of Christ Jesus. Now, humility is reflected in a number of ways, but it's going to be reflected within relationships. And so it's going to require sacrifice on our part. It's going to require intentionality on our part, getting to know one another. In order to practice humility, you need to be around others in order to do that. And so here at Local, when we listen to one another, when we encourage each other, when we grieve with each other, when we come alongside one another, when we refuse to hold on to bitterness, when we practice repentance, owning up to our sin, calling it what it is, sin, and asking God for forgiveness, and then going to our brother or sister and asking for forgiveness, when we practice that culture of repentance and we, when we extend forgiveness, love, and grace towards others, we're walking in humility. I didn't say that was easy. Peter's not saying that's easy. But we're enabled by the Holy Spirit who's with us. He empowers us to do this, to clothe ourselves. But we have a responsibility. And Peter brings up Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. James mentions this same thing where he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, that's encouraging, but it's also sobering. Think about this. God opposes the proud. I don't want God opposing me. Okay, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And for years, I have to admit, like I only saw this as as something directed, God's opposition only directed towards those who either deny him or are against his people. And that's true. There is an opposition from God against those who are are just stiff-arming him and want nothing to do with him or are against him. But... What I really didn't realize for some time is that I could experience, as a follower of Jesus, the opposition of God. Let me explain. Whether I'm in an argument with my wife, which happens, um, and I have no clarity whatsoever, and I feel like I'm in a pit. You ever been there, guys? Like the fog just settles in. Like, how did we get here? And I'm so angry, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to resolve this. In those moments, and they were happening quite frequently earlier on in our marriage, and I had a friend who took it. We went out to dinner with a friend. We had Mexican food. I just remember all this. And he says, listen, Darren, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And when I heard that, it just clicked. And, and, and I remember going home, and this isn't easy, but when in an argument, and, and I'd step out to pray, a pitiful prayer, by the way, just a, a pitiful prayer, like, bah, 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 bah. God, help me. I got nothing here. I don't know what to do. But praying these, these what felt like just pitiful prayers of, of dependency and humility before the Lord, and the fog just lifts. I'm serious. I've experienced this so many times, and not only with my relationship with Valerie, but in my relationships um, in the church community. And the fog lifts, and what was so unclear becomes clear. And sometimes it's so silly, we laugh it off. Like, are you kidding me? We were fighting over that. And other times it's very serious, and it requires repentance, owning up to the wrong I've done, asking for forgiveness. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And in the same way, I will oppose my sons if they're acting uh, out of hand. But in love, I think the same way we can feel that opposition, but it's, it's in love. And, and so here's the promise. God gives grace to the humble. Clarity, relief, joy. And it's beautiful. But I, and this, 
This is the benefit of walking in humility. Do you see it? Grace. Grace is given when we humble ourselves before the Lord. Peter's speaking into the community. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So receive that. And then he goes on in verse 6 to talk about we don't have to hold on to our anxieties and our troubles as if we're the only ones able to remedy them or figure it all out. That's actually very arrogant. God, who is present and active and who loves us and is with us, is the one who invites us to cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. That's the reason we can do that. In the word cast, it actually, it's, it's, it's a very um, vivid word here. Actually, in the original, it means to hurl. Just fling it all on the Lord. Put it on him. Will you do that? It takes humility. So in the same way it takes humility to pastor, it's going to take humility to be faithful in the community that God's put us in together, to faithfully walk out our relationships with one another. It's going to take humility. But he gives grace to the humble. In the same way, in dealing with anxieties, we feel overwhelmed. The troubles that we're facing, the anxieties that keep piling up, and we think, what am I going to do? I feel, I just, I get this tightness in my head. I don't have any clarity on the way forward. Lord, I feel overwhelmed. I don't feel like you're present. What am I going to do? Cast, fling, hurl your cares on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you, Peter says. He cares for you. You ever try lifting something too heavy, helping someone move, and you're like, I got this. I got this. She's watching, so I'm going to get it. That's really bad. You could pay for that the rest of your life. Okay, trust me. It takes humility to be like, hey, y'all, come on. I need help lifting this. It takes humility to go to the Lord and say, I cannot do this on my own. I can't. The reason why you can hurl all your junk, all your anxieties on the Lord, Peter says, is because he cares for you. That's going to require faith on your part to believe he cares. Now, N.T. Wright, an author that I really appreciate, he says this. The idea here is to pick up everything that is bothering you everything that is weighing you and fling them on God's back. He will carry them. And he will be delighted to do so, he writes. He loves you after all. This requires faith on our part. It requires humility. Are you willing to admit that you need help? Are you willing to admit that God does indeed care for you? Even though the anxieties and the troubles have convinced you, at least for a time, to believe otherwise? Isn't that how it works? Troubles and anxieties convince us, at least for a time, that God does not care for us, that God is not present. And so it requires faith and humility on our part to actually practice this, to believe that he cares, to remind ourselves of his extravagant love for us, and then to practice what we're instructed to practice here, and that's to hurl, to fling our anxieties on him. Now, practically, how do you do that? Because you're walking in it. You're walking in whatever trouble and anxiety you're facing. You got to deal with it. It's not like you can just, I know you might like to just kind of hit the road and run. What do you do? It begins with prayer. 
It begins with acknowledging God's presence in the circumstance, in the situation, even if you can't feel him. It's not about feelings. It's recognizing what is true. You're holding on to these promises and what God says, and you're saying, here, God, it's not mine to bear alone, and I thank you for that. I recognize you're here, and this is just overwhelming me. I can't stop thinking about it. I don't know what to do. And I know that you care for me, so here, I'm giving it to you. Watch what he'll do. We're talking about moving forward as a community and humility. This is the way forward. And there's grace. Finally, we see all of you stay alert and practice resistance. We've learned about faithful pastors. We've learned about walking and living and clothing ourselves with an an attitude of humility within the community he's placed us in. And then finally, all of you stay alert and practice resistance. What is this about? Look with me again in verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firming your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We'll pause there. Peter is writing to the church and he's saying, listen, be alert, be watchful. Like a soldier on watch, pay attention to what's going on around you. Wartime mentality. I mean, if you really believe that someone or something is out to hurt you, you're not neutral about it. <laughs> you're not neutral about it if you're sitting on a, like, a picnic blanket. You know, you're just chilling out in a field somewhere and a wasp starts coming by. You're not like, oh, okay. Yeah, you can land on me and sting me all you want. No one thinks that way. You're like, where, where, where'd that thing go? You're alert. Gets you up. Peter is calling us to be watchful, to be mindful, to believe that actually we have a real enemy. Peter's saying, live alert, live vigilant. You have a real enemy. You have an opponent. And I can't help but remember the night that Jesus was actually uh, betrayed, and uh, he, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying, and he was crying out to the Lord, and he asked Peter, Peter was part of the crew, that he asked to, uh, what did he, he said, uh, now, can you not watch one hour? Just, just stay with me. Stay awake for one hour. The, the flesh is uh, weak. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And Peter couldn't. Heavy eyes. He's starting to drift off, fall asleep. This happened a couple times. Peter couldn't, in Jesus' darkest hour, remain watchful. Peter experienced the struggle. And here now, he's telling the church years and years down the road, be watchful. Be watchful. I've learned. I've got experience in this. Be watchful. Now, I don't know if you've thought about the devil that much. He would like for you to never think about him. He would like for you to laugh him off, to dismiss him as a red horn, tights-wearing, pitchfork-carrying cartoon character. That's what the devil would like. He is the Satan, which means the adversary, the deceiver, the liar. And Peter gives the imagery of a lion seeking someone to devour. And that word devour is like swallow whole. One gulp is all it takes. He's a fierce enemy. I like National Geographic. I like all those documentaries about animals. My kids can't stand it, you know. They're rolling their eyes when I, I'm like, oh, this is good. Check it out. This lizard. 
We need to learn about this lizard. This is important for us. They're like, the game, the basketball game. This lizard. This lizard's been around longer than that game. Okay, so anyway, but what's, it's sad when you watch some, some of these National Geographic shows because you see the lion targeting that weaker animal, drawing him away from the, the rest of the pack. You're like, oh, man. You start cheering for the wildebeest, you know. You're like, oh, it's not, it's not going to go good for this little guy. And usually the, the lion, he, he targets um, the, the, the weak one, the one that's wounded or the one that has strayed away from the pack. And, and the same happens within the church community. As you pull yourself away from the community of God's people, you become an even uh, greater target for the adversary. And, and the only hope for that, that little guy who's, who's struggling to run with the rest of the pack is if the rest of the pack slows down and encompasses and surrounds that guy and helps him, or if the lion messes up. And There's something about staying unified here that's important. There's something about when you do see someone go astray, we run after them. That's, that's, that's my job, my responsibility, but all of us doing this together looking out for one another. The adversary wants you to be paralyzed with fear. He wants you to believe lies. He wants you to cave into temptations that pull you away from this community. He wants you to abandon or to compromise your faith. He wants that. And so there's two pitfalls, I think, that we can fall into uh, when wrestling. We've got discouragement, which leads to, I, I think, complacency and indifference. You ever been there? place of discouragement. You're like, man, I got no real relationships at that church. They're like surface level. What's the point? Why am I going? I I don't feel like I'm growing in the Lord at all. What's going on here? So you're just discouraged. Or you feel like temptation, you're giving in again and again, or you feel like you're not getting it. You're just discouraged. And what can happen with discouragement is that you just become complacent and indifferent to the the ways of the Lord. You, You stop pressing in. That's very dangerous. But on the flip side, uh, the other thing that's very dangerous is arrogance. Yeah, I got this. I've been in the community a long time. And Darren, he messed up that name <laughs> earlier. He doesn't know the Greek. But I, <laughs> but I do because it's on my app, on my phone. And... <laughs> so, all right, so we're laughing. That was kind of funny. But listen. Is that arrogant? Oh, no. Uh, Arrogance, discouragement, we can fall prey to either, and that's dangerous for us in the the community, and we have a real enemy, and Peter says, resist him, firm in your faith, oppose him, stand against him. Okay, how? How? Um, Not long ago, I saw a video on uh, the news um, that had this hiker encounter a female lion who he had disturbed, and she had a cub. And, and so he's capturing this on his phone as he's walking backwards down a path, and this lion is about 25 feet. Have you seen this? You can look it up. And, and, he, and this happened for like 25 minutes where the lion was coming closer and closer, and he was like, no, stay, no. And then he like kicks some dirt up, and I'm just thinking, that lion could have taken him out like at any moment. And he knew it. And he's like, no. You know, and he's backing up. He's back, and I would have been... I was, just, I was so scared watching this video, but I, even though I, I knew he must have made it because we have the video, but it was terrifying. Eventually, she got spooked. She ran off, and, and I just, it was, but here's the thing. He, he, was calling it, he was calling out that line, no, no, 
And I think there's a lesson there for us as, as we, we have to first be aware that we have a real enemy and, and hold on to what we've embraced about Jesus. Part of resistance means standing firm in our faith. We see this in verse 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him. How? Firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. Hold on to what you have come to know about Jesus. Hold on to the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and celebrate it. Firm in your faith. Second, know you're not alone in your suffering. What does he say? He says that knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, isn't that good to remember? Like, you're not alone in this. Sometimes we go through um, suffering and we think, man, um, again? This again? But you're not alone. But the adversary would love for you to get caught up and swim in self-pity, to be overcome with grief, again, to be paralyzed. And then third, a way of resistance is to know that God has a plan for your life. Now, this might sound cliche, but Peter says that you have been, that God has called you in Christ. God has a plan for your life. And fourth, God is on your side. Peter says that God will roll up his sleeves and intervene. He says that he himself will restore or make whole or mend. He will confirm and strengthen and establish you. Who? God. God's on your side. So whatever is against you, though painful, it's temporary and and it's no match for God. And it will not have the final word. Wow. Okay, Peter. I can resist the one who's, who's looking to devour me with that. Well, that's the point. Are you practicing resistance or are you living as if you have no enemy at all? Hold on to God's promise to intervene. Your enemy, church, is not cultural. Your enemy is not political. It isn't the one saying hurtful things are out to get you. Your enemy is ultimately the dark forces of spiritual evil at work in this world. But Jesus has triumphed over them through his death and resurrection And so it's there when we face the darkness and in the midst of suffering and trials and anxieties and in the face of our truest enemy that we can stand firm in what we know is true of Jesus. Peter's giving us weapons. Take them up. It's game time. It's time to run. How are you going to live? How are you going to walk? Are you going to stand in the true grace of God? He says, this is the true grace of God. Now stand in it. Don't move away from it. Verse 12 He's been writing this whole letter. This is the true grace of God. Stand in it. Do not move away from it. And then he wraps up the letter by saying, well, I'm I'm writing from from Babylon, essentially. Writing from Babylon. What's he mean? Babylon. Babylon, the ancient city of Babylon where Israel was led into exile many years prior. But it became a way to describe corrupt rulers and systems that were set up against God. Babylon. Corrupt. Against God. And he's reminding them, as he writes from Rome, actually, that this corrupt system, this Roman system, corrupt, rulers corrupt against God, he's reminding God's people that they are still exiles. Remember, that's how he started the letter. You're still exiles living in a place that isn't your final home, but nonetheless, you are called to live a life of hope and humility. Local church St. Pete, you are called to live a life of hope and humility. 
We are called to live a life of hope, not a wishful thinking, but a certainty in the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done, a living hope and humility. Watch what God will do and has done. So from faithful pastoring to personal preferences, from dealing with anxieties to resisting a real enemy, humility is the way forward. That is the way forward. Peace. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this letter. Wow, what a letter. There's so much here for us to digest. But Lord, what, what is clear is that you have called us as a community, elders included, to walk in humility. Lord, help us to practice resistance the way you've invited us to do so through 1 Peter 5. Help us to not live indifferent. Help us to not label others as the enemy. No, help us to see who the real enemy is but also to help us to hold on to the victory that is found in Christ Jesus and to stand firm in the grace that we've come to see and know in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.